So, uh, so if you've been with us for the last little while, you'll know that we've been working our way through the book of James, which is a very short little letter in the New Testament. And James was the half-brother of Jesus. And he writes this five-chapter letter to the followers of Jesus, and he's, he's quite direct, isn't he? Those of you who have been here the last few weeks, he sort of doesn't pull any punches right from the, you know, chapter one, verse one. Boom, here we go. But, uh, but what we may not know that about James is that he was a man of great prayer. And as church tradition would tell us, he was known, his nickname was Old Camel Knees. It's attractive, isn't it? Old Camel Knees was James because he spent so many years on his knees in prayer for the people that he loved and that he led. And so he has a lot to say about prayer that changes things. And we've you know, been looking at this whole series on, uh, on street-level faith. It's faith that actually we live out in our day-to-day. And, uh, and James kind of wraps up the end of this letter talking to his friends and his, uh, the people that he led about prayer. And we're going to dive into that today. Before I do, because I, I always forget, like I always plan to tell you about good resources and then I get carried away talking and I forget. So I'm going to do it at the beginning. So uh, if you are interested in finding out anything more about prayer, if you're wanting to continue to grow in all things prayer, then I have to commend to you Richard Foster's book on prayer called um, Prayer, Finding the Heart's True Home. It's, it's a classic. It's a Christian classic, really, and it's got um, so much good stuff in there for us. So that one I would recommend to you. If you're wanting to get a bit more of an idea about power healing and why we pray for healing in the vineyard, this is the book written by John Wimber, who was the founder of the vineyard movement. And, uh, and he's super down to earth, very real, very honest, and very inspiring all at the same time. Pete Gregg from the 24-7 Prayer Movement has written a book called God on Mute, where he spends the entire book talking about the pain and the frustration of unanswered prayer. Because if we're going to contend for prayer that is answered, we have to grapple with the reality that it sometimes isn't answered the way we would hope. And so this is a really, really inspiring, very honest book where he talks out of their own experience with dealing with long-term illness in their family. So it's a great book for you if you find yourself in that place. Honestly, I was talking to my daughter yesterday, and I said to her, you know what, you should just read that anyway, because there's going to come a day where we're going to need to know how to wrestle with this stuff, even if we're not there now. In fact, while we're in the thick of it, it's probably the hardest time to actually fill ourselves up with that. So I could highly recommend that. And his new book, How to Pray, also by Pete Gregg, and this is just filled with stuff that helps us to get going in all sorts of areas of prayer. And it's just, it just stirs your heart and gives you some tools to be able to get going. So there you go. Wasn't even paid for that. But I've read them, and they're really good, so I wanted to share them with you. <clears throat> but before we jump in and have a look at what James says about prayer, why don't we pray? Join me in prayer. So Father, we thank you for the opportunity that there is for us to come to you in prayer. Thank you that you are a God, you are a Father that is near to us. You are not distant, you are not uninterested. You are near to us. You are here with us today, present, engaged, loving. Lord, would you stir our hearts again to speak with you, to listen to you. Stir our hearts again to fall in love with discovering how to pray. And Lord, would you give us the gift of faith again? All of us, regardless of where we are on our journey with you. 
Give us the gift of faith again this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All righty. All right, we're just going to dive in. I'm taking a lesson from James. Just let's get straight in there. James 5, 13 to 18. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, as we are. He prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain in the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Interesting segues that James does. He sort of just jumps from one thing to the next, but I'll unpack some of it, all right? So first of all, from this, let's just take note that prayer is for everyone all the time, in all seasons of life. Are you in trouble? Pray. Have you noticed? People pray a lot when they're in trouble. Even people who don't know if God's there, pray. It's like, if you're there, God, help me, you know. When we're in trouble, we're to pray. When we are happy, we're to sing songs of praise. And you would have heard us talk here at Coast that our worship songs are prayers to music. It's prayer to music. We just add some great sounds in behind our prayers. Whether things are going well or they're really hard, we're to pray. When we're sick, we're to pray and we're to call the elders to come and to pray with us, to add their prayers to ours, James says. Prayer is for all the time, in all seasons of life. It's also that prayer is for everyone, for all of us to engage in. He tells us about Elijah. The reason he jumps to Elijah and he says that one funny little statement, Elijah was a human being even as we are. Well, yeah. Yeah. You'd sort of think he probably was a man. Elijah was a prophet in the Old Testament, and James is writing to people who are familiar with Old Testament uh, letters and books. <clears throat> and Elijah, in 1 Kings 17 and 18, he prays that God would hold the rain back because the people of Israel have left him. They've turned their backs on him once again, and they are worshipping idols and other gods. And so Elijah starts praying, God, withhold the rain so that it will force their hearts to come back to you. They'll humble themselves and come back to you. And when they do, he prays, and the rain comes. It just took three years, three and a bit. James is giving us an example. He's giving his readers an example that will help them to feel like Elijah, who was a human being, just like I am, can pray powerful and effective prayers. So can I. He's trying to inspire them, give them something to hang their faith on, if you like. And N.T. Wright, who is an Anglican minister in the UK and a wonderful theologian and pastor, says this, prayer, of course, is not only a task for the professionals, the clergy and Christian leaders. Every Christian has not only the right, but the vocation or calling to engage in prayer like that. Prayer for one another, prayer for the sick, prayer for sinners, prayer for the nation and the world. If everyone who reads or hears these words were determined to devote half an hour a day to to this task, the effect would be incalculable. 
The prayers of a righteous person are strong and effective. Our prayers, if we're trying to live right with God, our prayers are strong and effective in all seasons and in all places for all people. And James is saying, pray for yourselves. It's, it's okay for us to pray for ourselves. Has anyone prayed for themselves? Yeah, I figured as much. We usually start there, don't we? Like that's kind of first steps in prayer. Okay, God, help me with this. Usually it's help me. And, uh, and then it goes into more. We are also called to pray for other people. <clears throat> we have authority to do that because we are followers of Jesus. We are, we are those people that James talks about trying to live right with God. So our prayers are powerful and effective. They're not just for us. They're for each other. In 1 Peter, Peter was another one of the apostles. This is one of the letters he wrote. And he says this, you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him and to tell others of the night and day difference he's made for you, from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. We are chosen for this. We are called we are being put together and he has chosen to use us as his instruments and we're to give it away. So we are invited to pray for one another. And then we have this other additional bit where he says, if you're sick, call the elders and come get them to come pray for you. Now the elders in the time of New Testament, early church, were the ones who led the church. James was one of them. And they were the ones that did all of the pastoral care and the leadership stuff that happened in the early church. And so a couple of things to notice is that prayer is initiated by the sick person. If you are sick, call the elders. Now here's the thing. I am terrible at mind reading. So is Matt. And I suspect all of us are in that same boat. None of us are good at reading minds. So if you are sick or if you are in trouble and you need the elders or the leaders of this church to come and pray for you, you need to tell us. You need to call us. And we will come. We will come to hospitals. We will come to hospice. We will come to your homes. We will come wherever you are, but you need to call us. The initiative starts for each one of us in, in requesting prayer. And now the elders aren't, you know, we're not more super spiritual than anybody else, but we do have a role that God has called us into. And if you want to have a look at, well, who gets to be an elder, take a look at 1 Timothy 3. It's a book written to Timothy by Paul, and it outlines all the characteristics of the things that you're looking for in the people that eld, that lead. <laughs> there is such a word. These are people that are not new to faith. These are people that have good character. These are people that are true to Jesus and to God's word and do their best to live that out. They're not perfect. They are fallible, but they are in positions of leadership because God has invited them into that. That's all it is. It's obedience to lead, to serve others. And so part of that, if you're a leader in this church, then part of that is knowing that we could be called upon, any one of us at any time, because we need to go and pray for people. And so we need to kind of wrap our heads, heads around that. And, you know, I love the fact that people ask us to do that. We recognise that it's a vulnerable thing to do, isn't it, to ask anyone to pray for us. 
And, uh, but even in the last couple of weeks, we had Millie Mackay, who was in hospital with that awful ruptured appendix, <clears throat> and they were pumping her full of pain relief and three, three lots of antibiotics, and nothing was working because she had this terrible mass that had built up around this appendix. And, uh, and her family put out word to everyone they knew to be praying, and loads of people were, and we had the opportunity to go in and pray for Millie while she was in hospital. A couple of us went in at different times. And the great thing is, is that it's slowly it's working. And then, but keep, if you think of her, will you keep praying for her? Because she has surgery in about five or six weeks, assuming that all is well with that, like that they can actually remove this thing. So keep praying for her. Peter Golter, who if he was here, I would have got him to tell his story, but they're out of town this weekend. Peter, at the beginning of this year, was uh, diagnosed with cancer. Um, his doctors told him that he had new tumours in his brain and he had he'd had an existing one that had kind of settled right down and then it had grown and maybe there's another one, I think, if I'm getting my details right. And um, so they called him in and they said, look, we're going to put you on medication that will inhibit the growth of these things, but that's the best we can do. We can sort of slow it down. And a couple months later, he went back in, they put him in through another scan. I've seen the scans, and which is why it's like so amazing. He's, um, he's very inspiring. And, uh, and they've shrunk down to practically nothing in his brain and in his back. And, the and I read the report from the doctors who are like, we can't quite explain this, you know, but it must be the drugs. But these are the drugs they said couldn't shrink these things, they just inhibit growth. And so he's walking around as a, as a living testimony that God can break into these kinds of situations and bring complete healing. Well, not complete because it's still there, but we're on our way. It's just awesome. And he got people all over the place to be praying for him. He got the elders to pray for him in the way that James describes here. And he, he, is, he emailed us saying, I know James 5 is coming. I'm really keen to tell my story. But he was away, unfortunately. But, but if you want to talk to him, he will tell you his story. And he will pray for anybody for healing because of the faith that, that has grown in him. Things to notice from James. We are to confess our sin to one another because it can be an aid to our healing. There are times when our illness is actually linked to our sin. I remember years ago, we prayed for a lady who had terrible arthritis, really painful arthritis. And as we were praying, we felt like uh, this whole thing around bitterness, that she was holding bitterness towards somebody about something and that, that she needed to repent of that. And um, so we, you know, we, don't, we didn't know her. So we sort of gently offered that, as you do when you're not totally sure if this is God or me. And, um, and she's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I know exactly what that's about. And so we prayed with her as she asked for forgiveness, as she forgave the person that had done something that had hurt her, and then her healing came. Confession of our sins to one another. That doesn't mean that we're going to give you the mic and you have to stand up the front and tell everyone all your deepest and darkest. Because who would want to do that? However, within the context of some trusted friendships, there may be times when it is needed for us to do that, to tell on ourselves in order that we can be healed. And that's what James is acknowledging here. The other thing he mentions is anointing with oil. Now, if you've ever been in a situation where you've seen people pray, David McGregor was here just a little while ago, and when he prayed for people, he anointed them with oil. 
There's nothing special in the oil, it's just oil. Sometimes it smells nice, sometimes it's plain. The oil isn't the thing, the oil is symbolic. It is a, it's a way of us dedicating the whole of that person to God. And we know that symbols are important, aren't they, for us. The cross is one of them. And when we anoint people, we will usually anoint them with the cross in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, dedicating them into his care. And it's an aid to our faith. It's something we can anchor ourselves in. We pray in the name of Jesus. We've sung that this morning in some of our worship songs. It's because of Jesus. It's because of his life and his death and his resurrection that we have any authority, any daring to pray any kind of prayer at all because of what he did. It's in his name that we pray. And then James talks about the prayer of faith. Believing prayer is translated in other translations. Now, faith is an important aspect of prayer. Sometimes I came from a setting where I grew up and it was like you could be prayed for for something and uh, if you just had enough faith, if I just believed hard enough and I held on to that and I couldn't harbour any doubt and I just had to, mm, mm, then I'd be in pretty good shot for getting healed or something. I don't see that in Scripture. We've done that in the church. And if you've been on the receiving end of that, then I apologise. Or if you've been told that you haven't received healing because you haven't had enough faith, I'm sorry. Faith is part of this equation. It is for sure in the mix, okay? Faith sometimes can be like, it's my faith. If I'm the one requesting prayer, then just asking someone to pray for me is an act of faith. Because I'm asking you to pray because I actually think God might do something, that your prayers are gonna make a difference for me. For me to pray for you is an act of faith because I believe God might do something, that he can, that he does. Sometimes it's the prayer of other people that are around us. Sometimes it's a gift of faith. I've been in situations where I went in and honestly, like, I wish I could say I'm like this giant you know, in faith where I can just walk into any situation. I have absolute confidence that God's gonna just do the thing I'm praying for, but I can't. Sometimes it is really hard. Hospitals are hard places to pray. You know, a few years ago, we prayed for um, Jacob. He was three, I think, at the time, and had had terrible seizures and was in a coma at Starship, and we had to go in and pray for him. They didn't know if he was going to wake up, and if he did wake up, what that would be. And uh, to go and pray for a little person who was completely unconscious, and there's just wires and machines and everything all the way, man, your faith takes a bit of a hit, I've got to say. Got to focus on Jesus, not on what's in front of you in terms of what can be daunting. But sometimes in those moments... God has given me the gift of faith where I just am filled suddenly with this absolute sense of he's here. He's gonna do something and then I'll pray. Doesn't happen every time, but it does happen sometime. But we can pray for people who have zero faith. I prayed for a family member of mine who has, is not a Christian at all and uh, she had just come from seeing specialists and doctors and had been told that because of um, years of terrible endometriosis that she would be, it would basically, she had to give away her, her dream of ever conceiving and having children. And she was just heartbroken, newly married. 
And I asked her if I could pray for her. And she said yes. Do you know, most of the time when I've asked people if I could pray for them, even if they would say that they do not believe in God, my atheist brother lets me pray for him. And I prayed for her. And, you know, a few years go by, she's got three sons. Which she doesn't seem to remember the prayer. I do. God's still in the mix, you know? She didn't have any faith. I didn't know really how much faith I had, honestly, in that moment. But God still takes, you know, there's that wonderful um, verse that says, you know, we, we need the faith the size of a mustard seed. It's little. We just need a little. You know, take what we've got and do that. Um, uh, Richard Foster, from the book that I recommended there, says this, regardless of whether we feel strong or weak, we remember that our assurance is not based on our ability to conjure up some kind of special feeling. Rather, it is built upon a confident assurance in the faithfulness of God. That's who we want to focus on when we're praying. John Wimber, who was the founder of our movement, and he, they didn't start out praying for people for healing or any, anything, really. And then God spoke to him over and over and over again about what Jesus did in the Bible and then what Jesus told his disciples to do, and we're his disciples, so go do it. And one of those things is to pray for people to be healed, and John really struggled with that for a long time. And, but then he just started praying for people, it was just, just out of sheer obedience, started praying for people. He said, I remember listening to him a long time ago now when he was still with us, and he said he prayed for hundreds of people and no one got better. In fact, they got sicker, or he got what they had. <laughs> he would go into those sessions like already practising what he was going to say when nothing happened, because he had no, like he just got to the point where it was like, nothing's going to happen, but I'm going to keep praying because God told me to. And then they got one. And then there was someone else. And then he went on to have a healing ministry that empowered the church to pray for the sick all over the world and at the same time dealt with massive health issues himself. This is what he says. Obedience to God's word is the fundamental reason why I pray for the sick. Even when I do not see healing as a result of my prayers, I decided long ago that if I pray for 100 people and only one is healed... It's better than if I never pray at all and no one is healed. So we are always going to pray with a hope and an expectation that God will break into a situation and heal the person in front of us, or me even. But we often come to that with a mixed bag of faith and unbelief. And we have an example of that in Scripture. We see in Mark 9, there's this uh, situation where a young boy is uh, filled with a demon and has epileptic fits that throw him into the fire and all sorts of things. This father brings his son to Jesus' disciples and says, help us, will you pray for us? They have a go at it. They didn't succeed. They were not able to help this boy. Then Jesus came and the, and the disciples told him what happened. The father comes to him and says, if you care for us, will you help us? And Jesus said, well, anything can happen. You just need faith. And you know what the father said? I do believe. Help me with my unbelief. He had both. He got he, as much faith and belief that he had. He brought that and he was honest about the fact that it wasn't complete. And it didn't faze Jesus at all. Jesus then prayed for this boy, set him free, quietly actually, before the crowds came. 
Jesus is not phased by the fact that we often come to this with faith and unbelief. So we can be honest about that. That's one of the things I loved when I came into the vineyard was kingdom theology. You would have heard us talk about this in other places and other times. So I'm going to do a really brief summary okay, of a really big idea. It's God's way of being in the world. We get glimpses of it. We call it the now and the not yet. When Jesus came, we got to see what God's kingdom, his way of doing things looked like through the life and the activity of Jesus. So if you ever wanna know, what is this kingdom of God stuff all about? What does that look like? Look at Jesus. Look at what he did. Look at how he lived. That was like the now. He brought some of that in. He healed people. He raised the dead. He multiplied food. He had power over nature. He did all of these amazing things. He set people free. He was able to forgive their sins. He gave life. He gave hope. He gave forgiveness. That is what the kingdom of God looks like. Now, we live in this time. We have glimpses of that, but we don't have it fully. Jesus says, you're not going to have this fully until the day I come back. So we live in this time which is filled with tension, actually, Because there are times when we see him come through and he breaks through in wonderful ways and then we see times where that doesn't happen. And we have to wrestle with that. That can be an easy thing to say out loud and an easy thing to sort of mentally agree with, but when we live that in our most painful experiences, that can be a hard thing. But it gives us a place to go with our suffering and it gives us a place to go with our hope for change. The kingdom of God is here. And we will always pray for people. It's a bit like a white picket fence. You know, when you look along a white picket fence, it's like, now you see it, now you don't. Now you see it, now you don't. The thing is, we don't know when we're going to see it. So we're going to pray every time. Because it might be today. In this situation. Probably for me, one of the most poignant times where that was kind of felt the most was when we got a call from friends of ours who were in North Shore Hospital, and they had gone, well, they, she had gone into labour, <clears throat> but they, they had lost a baby about a year before. They'd had a stillborn little boy, which had been, as you imagine, utterly devastating. And here they were nearly a year later, and, and we got this call, and it's like, she's in labour, will you pray? You know, for a, as you can imagine, they were super anxious about this, and... Please, God, let this baby be all right. And as it turned out, and of course we did pray, as it turned out, we were on our way to the hospital, same hospital, um, because I was in the middle of miscarrying my baby. So while on the one hand I'm praying for a great outcome, which we got for these friends of ours, and we got to go see them when we got to the hospital and meet their wee girl, you live with the tension of sometimes we see the kingdom. And sometimes we don't see it the way we hope. And we have to live with both. It's not an easy thing. It's the only thing I know how to do that is true to what we read in Scripture. But it's not lightweight. N.T. Wright says this again, Prayer isn't just me calling out in the dark to a distant or an unknown God. It means what it means, and it does what it does, because God is, as James promised, very near to those who draw near to him. Heaven and earth meet when in the spirit someone calls on the name of the Lord. And it means what it means and it does what it does because God's new time, 
that kingdom time has broken into this time, this continuing time of this sad old world, so that the person praying stands with one foot in the place of trouble, sickness, and sin, and with the other foot in the place of healing, forgiveness, and hope. Prayer then brings the latter to bear on the former. Prayer is powerful and effective because we are calling on God and his kingdom to come and break through in these different situations. I'm going to just really quickly whiz over this a little bit just for the sake of time. The other thing James tells us is that prayer is patient and it's persistent. Our life in faith is to be patient and persistent. James 5, 7 and 8 and 10 and 11 says this, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, waiting patiently for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. We are going to need to be patient and we are going to need to persevere, just in, just in life in general, but in particular with prayer. And the interesting thing is he says this and then he talks about prayer. He's calling us to patience and perseverance and then he's calling us to pray. They definitely impact one another, and we're going to refer back to that a little bit later on. How many of us has prayed for someone or something, and then something miraculous or difficult to explain has come that has sort of answered our prayer? It's a fair number of us. Cool, cool. All right, here's a harder one. How many of us have prayed, and we haven't seen our prayers answered? Lots of us, eh? If not all of us. How many of us have experienced both? Pete Gregg's book, this one, God on Mute, says this. It is this very conviction, the belief that prayer works, that causes complexity and pain when it doesn't. Unanswered prayer is only a problem for those of us who truly believe. Cynics, it's just a reassurance that they were right all along. It's precisely because we believe so passionately in the power of prayer that we must also make sense of unanswered prayer. And when we do begin to wrestle openly with this issue, it can never be a neat academic exercise for polite theological discourse. Because the question of unanswered prayer touches the deepest, most painful experiences of our lives. If we are going to step into this place of prayer that James is calling us to, if we're going to develop calluses on our knees, we're going to have to grapple with answered prayer as well as unanswered prayer. When we go and pray for one another, we carry that tension of the kingdom that can come but doesn't always come now the way that we hope. And one of the things that can help us with that is getting a sense of, just as Jesus did, not my will be done but yours. When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he taught them the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. And it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will, 
And then when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he was arrested and then ultimately tortured and put on a cross, he mirrors that same prayer. And he says once again in Luke, not my will, but yours be done. Us accepting our limitations, us choosing to live a life of humility and surrender just the same way that Jesus did is part of us learning to come to terms with whatever happens as an outcome of our prayer. So what do we do if our prayer goes unanswered? What do we do with that? First of all, can I encourage all of us that we choose to be honest about it with our friends? Just the same way Jesus did. When he was in Gethsemane, he asked some of his best friends to come and be with him to watch over him. We need that sometimes. That's part of James saying, pray for one another. Earlier on in James 2, that whole active faith that we talked about a few weeks ago is us choosing to be with each other in these sorts of times. But it's really, if we have a, a place of unanswered prayer that goes on for any duration, it's easy to want to isolate ourselves, to, to sort of pull back, It's our pain that wants to do that because we want to protect ourselves. But that's the time we need each other the most. We also need to continue to choose to push into prayer. You know, after we see Jesus pray, Lord, not my will, but yours be done, he prays more earnestly in great anguish, he pours his heart out to God. This is where that whole thing of perseverance kicks in. That we don't isolate ourselves from God, even though that may be what our inclination is to do. That we remind ourselves of the promises in Scripture with a hopeful heart. That's why James does things like, remember Elijah, remember Job, These were people who knew the power of prayer. Job was like this walking example of like unanswered prayer that went on and on and on and on in the face of great tragedy and loss who remained faithful to God and that God ultimately restored. But man, that took a long time. Perseverance. But God's present. So we need to remind ourselves of these people who have walked before us that can identify with the struggles that we have right now, but that can call us forward in faith. We need to remember the the things that God has done for us in times before, the goodness of God that we have experienced in other stages of our lives. That is why when James talks about the farmer being patient and he sows the seed and nothing happens, well, if he walks out the next day, Nothing's happening. But the farmer can have faith and hope for there to be something because he's seen it before. He's seen fruitfulness come from planted seeds before. For us, when we're in these sorts of times, we want to go back and remind ourselves of what has God done before? When else has he been with me? When has he he been present with me in the middle of something really hard that I can lean into, trust, to hang on, to persevere through this? And as well as that, let's just receive the kindness of other people. You know, as gifts from God. God has said he chooses to use us as his instruments. 
So when we turn up at your house with a meal, or we want to babysit your kids, or help in some other practical way, or to pray for you, will you let us? It's a place of real vulnerability, that, isn't it? But James is convinced, and I have to say I agree, that prayer changes things. Prayer changes us. Sometimes it changes our circumstances. It always changes us. So today, as I'm coming into land, how do each one of us respond to James's teaching on prayer? For each one of us, we're going to have a growing edge of prayer, depending on where we are in our journey with him. So no two of us is going to be in exactly the same place. So for each of us, we just want to stop and have a wee think about, God, where am I in this whole thing of prayer with you? It might be that I'm just getting started, that actually just starting to pray to you at all about anything is new. Awesome. Start there. There is no formula. There are no special words. You just talk to him the same way I'm talking to you. Just normal. And you can use the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 as a place to start if you want. It might be that you start praying more for your, for your family, for your friends, for other people. Or it could be that someone at work or at school is, is on your mind and you start praying for them. It might be that you actually go and offer to pray for them in person. We've had someone staying at our house the last few days and he is not a Christian. <clears throat> and um, just before he left to fly back to the States yesterday, I just said, um, would it be okay if I pray for you? He's like, yeah, that'd be great. I said, okay, tell me what you'd like God to do for you then. And so we prayed for like two minutes in my hallway. But that, that might be the growing edge for, it, for you. It might be that it's us choosing to continue to pray even though the things that we are hoping for or have hoped for, we're not seeing. We're having to choose to persevere. It could be the growing edge is actually asking someone else to pray for me, for you. Or persisting in prayer when we feel like giving up. Let's just pause a moment. Would you close your eyes and join me? And let's just invite God to speak to each one of us about where we're at and where that growing edge is for us.